Welcome to the Breaking to Startups podcast, where we feature stories of people from non-traditional backgrounds who broke into tech. So on this show, we always talk about people from non-traditional backgrounds. In fact, we talk about it so much that you're probably wondering, what is a traditional background? Well, the truth is, is that many roles in tech like product management, UX design, biz dev, these are not the type of roles that you can major in in college. So you're probably wondering now, so how do I go about getting these jobs at companies like Google, Facebook, Square? So if you want to know the answer to that, you'll have to listen to this episode where we sit down with Kim Han, who's going to do a deep dive into biz dev, also known as business development. What's interesting about Kim's story is before she got a job as a biz dev rep at Square, for most of her adult life, she was a tango instructor. So in this episode, she shares a lot of creative hacks that she tried while she was breaking in. Just to give you a taste, it turns out that working as a task rabbit is not only a way to make money, but it's also a way for you to get your foot through the door at startups, literally. Also, if you're coming from a non-traditional background, maybe you're an artist, an actress, a musician, you should definitely check out the episode number 39 with Carly Robinson, who talks about her journey from being an actress on Broadway to teaching herself how to code and becoming an engineer at Slack. And finally, like Ruben mentioned, this week we launched the five-step challenge, which is a video course that's completely free and is meant to help you take your first step into breaking in. So if you're a fan of the podcast, you already know that every single one of our guests, they're all about taking action. They're not just talking about it. They're not just sitting around and listening to it. They're actually doing it. And this course is literally meant to take all the guessing away from you. And if you follow all the steps in these challenges, we will show you a straight path into finding your dream job. So if you are about that life, go to breakingtostartups.com forward slash challenge and sign up. Without further ado, let's break in. Growing up, we're told that in order to be successful, you need to be a banker, a doctor, or a lawyer. That's what the gatekeepers want you to think. But we're part of something bigger. We're part of a technological revolution. Either you're at the table or on the table. Get in the end. 10X. Yo, 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 this is Ruben Harris. I'm here with the homies, Archer Timo Meister. And this is the Breaking Stars Podcast. This has been a crazy day today. This morning, we're at San Quentin for the demo day. Shout out to Chris Redless and Beverly. Parenti, it was amazing. But tonight, we're going to talk about breaking the startups. Timo, can you please tell the people what we're doing today? Yeah, so we're recording tonight's episode at 8.30 p.m. on a Thursday. Uh, we just finished having dinner at Square, and tonight, we're doing a deep dive into business development. Several weeks ago, we made a poll in our Facebook community. If you haven't joined yet, please do. And we wanted to find out which roles people were most interested in. And many of you voted, and it turns out that business development is one of the top positions that people want to break into. So we wanted to bring you a guest who's going to do a deep dive and who's going to share her story of how she broke in into business development. Arthur, can you please introduce the guest? Yeah, today we have a pleasure of speaking with Kimberly Han. Welcome, Kim. And Kim was raised in Taiwan, and she spent most of her adult life as a professional tango dancer and instructor. She also worked as a voice actress for eight years. So when you talk about non-traditional backgrounds, this is probably one of the more unique ones. And she currently works as a business development rep at Square. And she organizes a community of over 2,000 folks out here in San Francisco that have weekly meetups 
and we'll go deeper into that. Kim, before we start, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, how you got here to Square and business development? Yeah, sure, absolutely. So I grew up in Taiwan. I was there for 17 years, and then I went to Seattle for university. And I picked psychology as a major because I really had no idea what I was going to do. So I went in, did psychology, ended up getting a minor in dance as well, and spent 50 hours a week while being a full-time student dancing tango, going to tango events, going to tango festivals, and eventually teaching and traveling a lot as well. And so finally, February 11th, 2015, I was still teaching workshops in St. Louis, and I decided that I wanted to, one, move to San Francisco, two, find a job in tech, and three, make non-tango friends, none of which I had ever had before. And I made it. And there were many, many different factors that did lead to this happening. And, and one of the things is the thing that you mentioned, which is the community that I organize of 2,000 people. And I would attribute a lot of my job or my connections to that group of people. Yeah, we're definitely going to unpack that whole process. And so, and we talked a lot about that in the pre-chat, but before going into that, can you explain to the people what business development is? Yeah. So when you first told me that you were going to ask me that question, I got kind of nervous. So I went online just to find an answer because I didn't want to give you the wrong thing. It's a very elusive thing. People ask, what's biz dev or BD or business development? And I can tell you what I do on a day-to-day basis as a business development rep or BDR, but BD or biz dev as a whole is really elusive. So I'm just going to give you the Forbes magazine answer, which is business development is the creation of long-term value for an organization from customers, markets, and relationships. So for every company, it could be very different. But for me, I focus on the customers. Got it. And so what's, what's Kimberly's definition? My definition, uh, for me, it is, I focus on customers, but I would say that business development is relationships and building relationships and maintaining them. And give us an example of your day-to-day life. And let's say you get in in the morning, what time is it? And then what does your typical day look like? Yeah. So as a business development rep, we're probably getting in at around 9 a.m., but this week I've been getting in at 7 or 8. Just because I have a lot of side projects going on, I want to make sure that I get everything done so that I can do side projects like record this podcast with you guys. Mm-hmm. Um, so I get in, I am consistently on my email. So I have three screens. So if you can visualize this, I have a laptop in front of me. I have one large screen to my right and one large screen to my left, split into two each. So I, I'm a very much a tab hoarder. I have my email up. I have my Google Calendar up. I have maybe a Salesforce page. And Salesforce is a, is a tool that allows you to track a lot of your customers if you, if you have customers. And then I might have another email tracking app open. And then here on my laptop, I might have my personal Google Calendar open. So I get in. I'm checking my emails, starring the customers who have responded and are interested. So what I do is pure outbound. So when you're saying outbound, are you like talking to people one-to-one? Are you doing outbound relationships with like with the companies? Or is it kind of like direct customers, just like one customer? Is it companies? Like what's your outbound? Right. So if you're talking about Square, Square does payments processing and point of sale and a lot of software things that are related to that is very much an ecosystem. So the people that I'm talking to, they're merchants. And merchants could be one person who owns a restaurant or it could be a whole corporation that owns a lot of restaurants. It doesn't even have to be restaurants, dentists or retail stores, um, food trucks, food trucks, services, 
Yeah, it's it Got could it. be anything that takes money. Got it. And so as you develop those relationships, I know you kind of like you work in tandem with the sales team. What does the sales team do? Right. So I work under the sales team. So I guess I should do this distinction now of business development outside of sales and business development within the umbrella of sales. So at Square, business development outside of scale uh, sales is probably doing something like new markets or partnerships. Under sales, it is, let me uh, show you the umbrella of sales. And this is broken down from the book, Predictable Revenue from Aaron Ross. I just got that book yesterday. Yes. If you're looking to scale a company, I would definitely recommend that book. He came from Salesforce and uh, he, he definitely streamlined the whole process, realizing that one person closing and sourcing and qualifying all leads isn't the most efficient way to do things. So he split the sales team into three different parts. SDR, sales development rep, BDR, business development rep, and account executive, also known as AE. Sales development reps, they qualify inbound leads. So people who saw from marketing that, for example, Square exists, and they call in to learn more. Business developments go pure outbound. So I go for people who've either never have heard of us before or were never interested. Got it. Well, that's a helpful breakdown. And how do you break down? The, is it broken down by territory, business type, business age, or what are the different criteria that typically get allocated to different business development reps? I see. Size. So there are Size. some people who, mm. well, for the most part, we all can go, go after whoever we want at this point in time. But there are some people who work on really large deals like 5 million or 20 million. Got it. So are they asking you to do, you know, 50 emails a day, 50 calls a day? Do you have like a certain amount of activity that you have to do per day? Yeah, it's, it's quotas actually- Quotas <laughs> or how does that work? It's actually pretty funny that you ask. For the most part, they do try to get you to hit a call number every day. I am probably the only person who consistently doesn't hit that number but I still hit quota. Quality over quantity. Well, I mean, it's, a, it's just a different approach. There are some people who do really well making a lot of cold calls every day. They'll, they'll do 65 cold calls a day and hit a lot and also hit quota. Yeah. I probably call the least out of my entire team, but I also hit quota because I do other things. So you have to choose which one is good for you. If you're really good at calling, you should definitely keep calling. If you're really good at writing personalized emails, Maybe that's the way to go. Or you might be a blend of what's in between. Yeah. It sounds like both of these roles, BDR, SDR, AE, are all quota carrying roles. If I'm someone that's interested in this type of space, you know, what skill sets do I have? Or like what, what would make me choose one of these things over the other one? Because they all seem kind of like related. Okay. So for the most part, SDR is very entry level. You can come in out of college without a sales background. And you will learn more about the product and basically talk to people who are already interested. Then if you do well there, then you get promoted to BDR, who just goes outbound. And for both SDRs and BDRs, once you get somebody interested and they are the right fit and they are the right fit for your business, then you pass them on to an account executive to close the deal. Got it. So the AEs are the closers. Can you talk a little bit more about your team and how many people you have? the dynamics uh, on your team between you and people who are also trying to close uh, deals? Is it competitive? Is competition encouraged? Do you think competition Hmm. helps? Yes. I don't think I can tell you exactly how large the sales team is. But when I first started at Square in July of 2015, I was on an experimental team with one other person. And now I can say that we are at least 20x. 
Mm-hmm. Beyond 10x, I see. Well, uh, let, let's just say 10x. Let's just <laughs> say we're around 10x. And the question about competitiveness? They definitely encourage competitiveness. Mm-hmm. They do want competitiveness. So on a dashboard, they will, for example, daily, we will check the dashboard and the dashboard will have a graph with everyone's names on it mm-hmm. and everyone's points on it. And you are very clearly, like <laughs> your name is very clearly on that graph. And so you are definitely placed amongst your peers and tr- they're definitely trying to push you to be competitive. Got it. And so do they foster kind of like, you know, because there's different schools of thought. Is it cutthroat? Is it friendly competition? Mm-hmm. Are there team goals? So like everybody has individual goals. Is there a team goal? If everybody hits it, then there's like another bonus or how does that kind of work? There are definitely team goals. For example, we do this thing where we source leads together. One of my colleagues came up with this. It's called Slow Jams Friday. We get into a room together. Somebody plays cool music and we all get together and source leads. And we do have a team goal that we try to hit all together as a team. And that's a lot of fun. That's a lot of success. And there, there are some things that aren't as fun and aren't as interesting. And if, there are ways to make it fun. Yeah, got it. That's really cool. So you uh, kind of cover the biz dev side and you compare it to sales. What was interesting about when you first uh, introduced yourself, you mentioned that you were doing dance and tango for so long, and then you decided to do tech. Can you take us back to the moment when you decided you had that spark to do tech? Like what motivated you to do it? What Mm -hmm. triggered that desire to break into tech out of all the industries? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I am still in love with tango. It's probably the thing Mm -hmm. that I have loved most in my entire life. And I am one of those lucky people who got to work in the thing that they loved most, the thing that they were most passionate about. But I've also seen other people who are really passionate about tango stop being passionate about tango after 15 or 20 years. And for me, each passion lasts maybe seven or eight years for the most part. It used to be Diablo 2, so I played a lot of video games I don't play anymore. But I didn't want to be stuck in something that I used to love but didn't love anymore. And also, tango wasn't something that's scalable, isn't something that's scalable. It's something that's really intimate and very special, and you have to learn with another human. Maybe until we get fully immersive virtual reality, we can't really scale tango, (laughs) but you can scale tech. Yeah, and as a working professional, and we definitely want to go deeper into the tango side of things and the skills that you develop, how do you maintain tango while being a working professional? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I am actually not dancing very much. I used to dance 50 hours a week. Now it's probably once every three weeks or so. Yeah. Probably when a friend is going out or uh, somebody's visiting from out of town. But I, I am definitely still keeping up with a lot of extracurriculars. It's not because I don't love tango. It's because all of these really interesting things that I had never done before as an adult because I was dancing tango the whole time are popping up and I'm really interested in trying all of them out. Yeah. I'm singing again. I sing, I sing a cappella every Wednesday and Beautiful. every other Thursday. I was you just singing. finished singing. I just finished singing uh, and like a couple hours ago, or like right when I met with you guys. Yeah, yeah. Shout out to Andre. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. And were any of the skills that you developed from Tango, did that help you in your interview process for like a BDR? And like, what does that interview process look huh. like? Okay. Let's talk about the interview process first, and then I can go back to thinking about what kinds of skills may have translated because I, I, I don't know off the top of my head. The interviewing process for me was for an SDR. Interestingly enough, I had never come in for an in-person interview because most of that job is over the phone. People hear my voice and they'll never meet me. So this is what we call inside sales. And outside sales is when you go out into the field and meet people face to face. 
most of the sales that's done here at Square is inside sales. So when I interviewed for SDR, it's kind of interesting. I had gotten laid off from a previous job at Sidecar only a few, a few weeks beforehand. And I told my community of people that I was organizing, and I, and I knew nothing about what they did for work, because all we do is talk about what are things that excite you, what are things that you've learned recently, not how are you and what do you do. Yeah, that's the right way to do it. Yeah. So uh, when I told them that I got laid off, probably 80 people commented on that post. And by the next week, I had maybe 15 different tech companies lined up in an Excel spreadsheet with somebody to talk to, like Google and Yahoo and Facebook and Lyft. And it was just a bunch of companies and Square was just one of them. And what I first did was I reached out to my friend who was working here at Square. And now we work together. And he also runs that community with me now. What's his name? His name is Wen Lee. Shout awesome out to Wen Lee. <laughs> so he, uh, he said, yeah, you would be a really great fit. So I looked online. I knew that I was interested in business development, whatever that was. I didn't really knew, know what that was. And I also didn't know. Is that what you did sales. at Sidecar? Or what was your role at <clears throat> Sidecar? <clears throat> right. I was an onboarding specialist. So I did a lot of phone screenings every day talking to people who wanted to be drivers for Sidecar. So it's kind of like inside sales, but like recruiting slash HR? <laughs> kind of. It was kind of like that, but we couldn't call them employees. So they wouldn't call it interviewer or they, I think they were very careful with the wording. Got it. Yeah. It was an entry level role. I'd found it through a friend that I had seen in a documentary. I'd seen the friend in a documentary. But you'd practice talking on the <laughs> phone a lot. And so that kind of yeah. like, is that yeah. kind of like what got Winley saying that this might be a good fit for you? I think he thought it would be a good fit for me because I'm a curious person mm -hmm. in general. He didn't actually know what the sales team did because he's an engineer, but I think it was more about the culture fit than anything else. So he got me in touch with somebody who was on the sales team and we had lunch here. And then after we talked for about an hour, she said, yeah, I'd be happy to refer you in. There's this really cool role that's coming up and it's kind of experimental. We don't know if this team is going to work. And then she put my resume in. I did one phone call at 10 p.m. on a Tuesday night right after I finish organizing one of my salons. Mm -hmm. And then another phone. And then he said, would it be crazy if you started on Tuesday? Wow. Next Tuesday. I said, well, can I first get an offer and don't I need to talk to one more person? <laughs> <laughs> so the next day I talked to one more person uh -huh. and they gave me an offer and then I signed it. Well, wow. so what did they ask you on this interview? Like, what does that look like? And how, how do hmm. more people learn how to get jobs in these roles? Like yeah. That? There was a video interview with a few questions of why do you want to be in sales and what makes you good at sales? I don't even remember my exact answers for this, but people who are in sales need to have determination and grit because you're going to get rejected a lot and you need to get used to rejection all the time. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like the interview process for like SDR roles or for sales roles, they're kind of like you're almost expected to sell yourself in the interview as if you were speaking to a client? You always have to be selling yourself. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's just an SDR or BDR or sales role mm -hmm. that you have to be selling yourself. You have to be selling yourself for any interview. For life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. People use sales for everything. Mm -hmm. But do you think there was extra like emphasis on like part of the grading of the interview was not just kind of how well you like, introduce yourself, but also like how persuasive you are, how well you take, like whether you could take rejection or whether you could turn it around. Like, do you feel like the interview process was almost like mock? conversation with a client with a potential client or was that something that i remember one of my sales interviews like in addition to that not just sell, sell, selling yourself you know one of the reasons why i didn't get an offer from a company was because they 
ask a bunch of hes- they gave me a lot of hesitations about my background mm-hmm. and I didn't address them properly. Mm-hmm. And so I just kind of like, oh yeah, no, you're right. You're absolutely right. And I just kept talking about it and kept selling myself. But mm-hmm. sometimes like, yes, selling yourself is important, but sometimes like being able to handle objections or address mm-hmm. any hesitations that they might have is very important too. Yeah. Would you agree? Uh, definitely, definitely important to address all objections. Yeah. And it sounds like in your case, you mentioned that the guy who said, hey, can you start on Tuesday? That he almost gave you the offer over the phone, right? Yes. And part the of the job is to be on the phone. So you probably liked what you was hearing, like your voice tonality and mm-hmm. all of those things do play a major role, especially when you're yeah. reaching out to people and doing the outbound yeah. sales, right? Absolutely. And I actually worked on my voice for a long time. There are a lot of things that I didn't sound like this to start. I practiced a lot. And actually having that job at Sidecar as an onboarding specialist helped me a lot because I was reading up on how to gain respect as a woman. And part of that was downward intonation. You'll probably notice that I end a lot of sentences on a downward intonation instead of an upward intonation. Yep. Yeah. And that that makes people pay attention. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that gains a lot of respect. So I actually practiced that. Can you I, give us an example of a, maybe a sentence that of how you sounded before you started Yeah, sure. And- like, let's just say that there's a tissue over there, right? I would say, there's a tissue over there. It would, like, somebody would say, okay, yeah, there's a tissue over there. Yeah. Or I could say, there's a tissue over there. Yeah. And then someone's like, I got to go pick up that tissue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you sound more in control. Uh, more in control. Yeah. So the way you speak is very, very important for, for sales. You have to sound confident. You, have, you are the consultant, yeah. pretty much. And you need to sound like you understand what you're talking about. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I like the point you made about kind of you worked as a in an entry level role at Sidecar mm-hmm. as an onboarding specialist, and that helped you hone your skills mm-hmm. and almost prepare you for the next like step up at Square, and you were prepared for the interview because you already had kind of you already knew what you were worth, you knew yeah. your skill set, you mm-hmm. knew your what you could bring to the table. And, mm-hmm. and I think that tonality thing is super important because like you can say things in so many different ways, and not just with tonality. You could be like, you know. He was bad. It was like really bad. Or he'd be like, no, he, he was bad, bro. I'm telling you, like just all the way around. Or like he was bad. So it was like all, all kinds of I, all kinds of things. You can, you can always shape the direction of a conversation. So I'm, are there any other like voice coaches are, are very special. And so you're a unique person because not just because of all the things that you do with Tango, but you also took voice acting lessons as well is that accurate i never took voice acting lessons okay okay but you said you, but you said you practiced some things co- vo- I, voice I, actress, I, right? I was a voice actor for mm-hmm. about 10 years i started at age 10 it's kind of funny is there any like tactical like other things outside of voice tones that you were practicing like to develop your voice over the phone silence <laughs> yeah very important yeah. so listening active listening, listening active listening is key you want to be doing less talking and more listening almost all the time because listening gives you information and information can help with anything that you want to talk about later. Yeah. And sometimes people say, you know, wait, wait until the other person takes a breath before you say anything. That's what some people have told me. So yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But sometimes allowing an awkward silence to get awkward is like very that. helpful. Yeah. <laughs> is very helpful in a conversation. Yeah. yeah. Especially if you're um, speaking to a client on the phone, like, maybe making an open-ended statement and then pausing and letting them fill the gap. Sometimes you'll get a lot of intel about what their needs are, what they're struggling with without you even like trying to project your view on their business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and one more thing that I'd like to add 
is the yes and attitude. So I was just um, coaching a public speaking group for this nonprofit also right before acapella. So kind of had a lot of things lined up in a row. And I, I told them about the yes and attitude, which is from improv. So you would say a sentence, once upon a time, there was a dog. Yes. And the dog had really long ears. <laughs> and then if you'd want to go. Yeah. And she, was, she loved playing with a soccer ball. Yes. And she really, really enjoyed basketball as well. And uh, yes, she um, loved being outside. Great. So these are ways to pivot, adding things on, on top. Like somebody just threw you a curveball. You need to be able to know how to dodge that or catch that or like be prepared for any other circumstances. It's kind of just like the yes and attitude. It's kind of like an alley-oop. Alley-oop? An alley-oop in basketball. You got to slam dunk it. I, I wish I knew more about sports. Okay. No worries. This is something that could help me. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> could help me a lot in sales, to be honest. A lot of people in sales are very into sports and understand it very well. And I'm, I'm rather ignorant. <laughs> but but you do have your own unique background, which <laughs> actually brings back to the point of we tell a lot of our listeners and we tell a lot of people who ask us advice how to shape their story when they are going to the interviews where they can highlight their background and mm -hmm. almost position it as a position as something that comes from a place of strength, power versus something like, oh, like I don't have the description on my resume that matches the description on this job listing. So in your case, how, how did you tell your story when you were applying for your first job? Mm. You know, I do have a YouTube video somewhere that I could link over to you. I haven't looked at it in about mm -hmm. a year and a half because it's been so long. We'll, we'll so. include it in the show notes. Do you remember <laughs> the name of the YouTube video? I think I put it on private. So I'm going to look to see okay. if, it's really if it's really embarrassing. And you definitely then I'm not going <laughs> to. I'll think about it. I remember. So why did you put it on YouTube in the first place? Well, it was one of the things that was required. They said, please send in a one minute YouTube video of you answering these three questions. And one of them is why sales? Why you for sales? And I don't even remember what the last question was. Why us? No, it wasn't that. I'm going to have to dig it out. I'm sorry. Uh, it, I'm completely blanking. It's been so long. But I did definitely bend a lot of my skills. I said I was a voice actor, so I can change my pitch and my tone to be very convincing, I said. Mm -hmm. I'm Got convinced. <laughs> And yeah. what about your tango background? I'm sure you build a lot of relationships uh, mm -hmm. doing that. Did you lean on that experience at all when yeah, you were telling your story? Yeah, take it back to the skills that you feel that yeah. you developed that helped you out. Tango really helped me develop confidence. I was a very shy person in very baggy clothes and was very quiet and in the corner of the room almost all the time before I started tango. That's hard to believe knowing you, <laughs> I guess this is uh, a few years ago. Yeah, it's so interesting. I just had my high school reunion not too long ago here because I ran into some Bay Area folks and they said, Kim, you are so different. Tango helped me build confidence by helping me stand up straighter. Just doing that little thing, it's kind of like the Amy Cuddy talk on TED Talk, talking about how if you fake it, then you become it. It was a little bit like that. And then the other thing was teaching. Teaching is so huge. It's probably one of the best ways to learn how to publicly speak because you need to communicate a message to somebody. And when I got roped into teaching, which was something that I didn't even know that I was going to ever do, somebody asked me to do it for free to start and then started giving me money to do it. I started getting better and better at explaining concepts and talking to one person, then two people, and then a whole group of people. Got it. That's Got it. awesome. 
and tell us a little bit about how you got into tango because i remember you in the pre-interview you mentioned that you initially wanted to be in the choir right and then <laughs> yeah i did and then kind of that led you to discover tango so tell us a little bit about that whole uh, story and then if there's any takeaways that you that you have from that mm-hmm. so when i was in high school i was really into singing i wouldn't say that i'm a good singer not then and not now but always very enthusiastic so i auditioned for this choir called opus for four years for four times and i didn't get it and uh, all of my friends said that i was so i was so devastated that my last year i was thinking well screw this i'm so upset that i'm not going to sing this year and i decided to have a free period instead and one month into senior year of high school i realized that that could be the chance to learn something new because i wouldn't want to embarrass myself in college so might as well try it now so i walked into the dance studio and uh, it was a dance pe dance one class the most beginner you could get and i was with a group of freshmen and i was one of the only seniors and went and started taking the dance classes there and after the first class i was so bad that i had at least 3 people approach me personally to ask if i needed help <laughs> but i got so addicted it was the thing that i loved more than singing and way more and so by the time i got to university i knew that i wanted to try every single dance form that ever existed and i did i tried maybe 12 different things ballet and hip hop break dancing tango salsa swing west coast swing african like anything that you can think of i probably have tried and tango was the one that stuck the most and part of it was because it was half price for students and the other part was because it was just an incredible and beautiful dance form and it was hard and i was bad at it and i was getting better so it sounds like there's a lot of takeaways there like you were pursuing something that you thought you were super 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 passionate about and you're still passionate about mm-hmm. You got rejected. It led you to something else that you were even more passionate oh, about. Oh, yes. You did a lot of experimenting with different dance forms. Mm-hmm. And then also, um, this was something that was accessible to you from a financial perspective. Yes. Nah. Yes. And yeah. Did and I see a lot of kind of parallels to the startup world because there's a lot of folks who might hear about product management or might hear about certain roles that are shiny or just more well-known. And they start going for these roles and they... They keep hitting obstacles because, I don't know, maybe they just like maybe they're a good fit, but not like the best fit. And so kind of the feedback they're getting is that, hey, like you're not ready yet. or And then they stumble into something that they're really good at. And then that becomes their real passion. And we actually have a few friends. Yeah. I mean, um, for, so for all the people that we were in investment banking with or consulting with, a lot of them will hit us up and say, hey, I'm interested in business development and sales. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, I mean, it's a great entry point for sure. But do you really know that's what you want to do? Or is it that's just kind of like the, you know, the thing that everybody's talking about? So Yeah, but I think it was good that you kept your kind of mind open and you experimented with a lot of different things to discover mm-hmm. what and you I, actually wanted and, to and do. To touch on that, I, I would say like, I think it's also something else that we didn't say that you did too. Is like you, you mentioned you cried for a week. I think sometimes like people mm-hmm. internalize their emotions about something. And like, I think there's nothing wrong with like being down about something because yeah. sometimes that period allows you to reflect and to be open and to think bigger, like maybe I should try something else. Yeah, I, I did cry for a week, but these days I don't cry very much because I'm so happy. Yeah, yeah, there you <laughs> It's go. a problem. Yeah. You can't have flowers without rain. <laughs> so tell us how you made this transition because your story wasn't uh, all like rosy and easy. You moved out to San Francisco without knowing a lot of people, right? Yeah, the only people that I knew were tango people and, and they're amazing, amazing humans. Most of the time we talk about tango, which is something that I also love, but not talking about tango was something that was very new to me. The transition. I think I first 
knew that I wanted to be in tech right before I went backpacking in 2014. So remember, I made my decision in February 2015. In 2014, I was a task rabbit. I wanted to try every task that was under the sun, kind of like I wanted to try every dance. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and I didn't know there were so many startups. I actually found out about TaskRabbit when I was um, on f- ah, February 14th. It was Valentine's Day. And I was helping bloom that, which at the time was just five or eight people, uh, pack flowers. Wow. They had gotten too many Valentine's Day orders and they needed people fast. Wow. So a friend of a friend said, hey, Kim, a friend of mine needs help. Let's go pack flowers all night. It's like 15 or $18 an hour. And I was like, great. I don't really have a job anyway. And it sounds like fun. I go there. I'm packing flowers all night. They're playing dubstep music. It's a lot of fun. Um, and uh, the guy next to me, I asked, how did you find out about this? And he said, through TaskRabbit. I said, what in the world is that? <laughs> and he said, I'm a graphic designer, but uh, I spend only a few hours working a day and the rest of my time graphic designing because that's something that I'm really passionate about. But really TaskRabbit, you get to pick whatever you want to do and you get to try a lot of things out. So I became a TaskRabbit and tried so many different things. I, I did office management stuff at some startups. So filling up snacks is one of my favorite things. Refilling snacks, that is, like putting all the protein <laughs> bars where they belong. And yeah. uh, um, grocery shopping is another thing that I loved. Wow. I got to the point where they trusted me so much that they would give me their their company credit card and I would go grocery shopping for them. Did that make you want to consider Instacart at all? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know about Instacart. I knew nothing about tech. And this I didn't, was 2014, right? 2014, I didn't, I didn't even have a smartphone. I had a candy bar phone, I think. And was uh, this all in San Francisco? or was this, that- was in, this was in San Francisco. I was here for a short period of mm-hmm. time. It was... I didn't know how long I was going to be Did you know here. anyone out here? Like, did you have a place to stay when you moved out here? Yes. Yes. Um, I had a friend named Niraj. I would call him my bhaiya, which is a brother in Hindi. Nice. I'd known him for eight years. We used to teach tango together in Seattle. Um, and he, he let me stay at his place while I was here when I didn't have a place. What, would you say that, like, since tango is kind of like, can you describe what tango, the dance is? Like, it's, you, you work in pairs, right? Yeah. It takes two to tango. Uh, it's very much like a conversation. Mm-hmm. I would say it's more like a conversation than a dance, except you are, instead of communicating with words, you're communicating with movement and chest. And a lot of that communication is through touch rather than rather than sound. Interesting. So since the tango community tends to be so close and it's this conversation, you're working in pairs, you kind of always have a buddy. And, or many buddies. Or many buddies. And so like kind of like when... No, Archer, Team One, I like we talk about like a lot of times it's it's hard to break in by yourself, but it's easier if you're together because like you guys can kind of like support each other when you're down. It sounds like you, when you were breaking in, you had a tango buddy that would allow you to like stay there, mm-hmm. and that be- wasn't just a friend; it was like your brother. Yeah. What's really funny is that eventually I found him a job at one of the places that I was task rabbiting at. Mm-hmm. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> he was at Yahoo at the time, and his commute was so long, and I said listen, I'm at this startup. It's really cool. They have all these free snacks that I stock every day. And I know the HR guy. And uh, and then I sent his resume in and he's still working there. And so yeah. like that's something that was unique that you were doing. You weren't just doing like task rabbits just to do every task. You also started deliberately using it ah, to break in. Yes. So I only chose tasks that brought me value. For the most part, I did the tasks because they were fun. 
I would actually stock a kitchen for free because it is a lot of fun for me or go grocery shop. Like I will go grocery shopping even if I won't buy something. So a lot of those tasks, I found I found those to be fun or writing online dating profiles for for people who couldn't write online dating profiles or messages for that matter. One time I, I sat in a room. I can't say which company this was, but it was a company who wanted to look like they were more diverse and had more people. Uh, and I just sat there on my computer pretending to work there as Gary Tan from Y Combinator walked in to check in on their startup. Shout out to Gary Tan. I like Gary. <laughs> so, I mean, those were those were the tasks that were coming up in 2014. And a lot of the times I wanted to I only worked for the people that I wanted to connect with or the startup startups that I wanted to learn more about. Awesome. Awesome. And so you you were doing that while you were also organizing these salons and building no, this. Oh, not yet. Oh. 2014, I was still teaching tango. So I was task rabbiting and teaching tango at the same time. And then I was like, got to go. And then dropped everything and went backpacking for a year. Wow. Talk, talk about that a little bit. Yeah, like? <laughs> we, like, we like to talk a lot about climbing mountains and climbing the wrong hill yeah, and things yeah, like that. Yeah, sure. I had always wanted to backpack around the world. I, I, had never, I had never done that before alone. Where did that desire come from? Uh, in 2011, I did a program called Semester at Sea. I don't know if you guys have heard yeah, about this I've heard before. of it, yeah. Yeah. Basically, Can you describe what it yeah, is? Yeah, yeah. It's a floating university with 700 students. What? And you're there for one semester, which is four months, or one quarter, which is uh, two months mm-hmm. over the summer. So I did the, uh, the summer quarter mm-hmm. and got college credits, room and board. And in fact, as an out-of-state tuition payer at University of Washington in Seattle, Semester at Sea was actually cheaper than living in Seattle and taking classes from the university. Interesting. Were you on the boat the whole time? I or, was. <laughs> or you can get out kind of like a cruise mm-hmm. ship. It is a cruise ship, except all of the uh, common areas are converted into classrooms and there are professors on board and you get college credit. And some of those professors are really good. I took some of my best classes on Semester at Sea. For 66 days, I was probably on the ship for about 33, half of those times, half Got of those it. days. Got it. Yeah. That's awesome. So that that's how I started with Wanderlust. The thing that got me to leave was because I had applied to a program. I'm not going to give the name of this program, but it is kind of like a program that helps you build skills in sales or design or coding. What's that? A boot camp? It's yeah, it's a I think it's a 12 10 or 12 week boot camp and I wanted to learn how to do design and they put me in the sales track. I'm like I don't know anything about sales. I'm not <laughs> interested in sales. Like, I don't know why you put me in there. And I argued so much that eventually they said, actually, you're not a great fit. <laughs> and I was so, I was so devastated. So was this after you graduated from college, you decided to kind of attend this boot camp to get, to get a new skill? Because or? I had no idea how I was going to get a job. What did you study in college? I studied psychology, psychology and dance. Mm-hmm. And I studied psychology because I didn't know what I wanted to do. But I was interested in people. Interestingly enough, after I came back, now I am in sales and I really like sales. And, and there were lots of things that I didn't know about it that I do now. Yeah. yeah there's Would th- you say kind of uh, going, kind of placing yourself back in the college days, like in those shoes, mm-hmm. what advice would you have for folks who are graduating maybe with a liberal arts major and they're considering various jobs, maybe some in tech? What advice would you have for them? Mm. So Nike has it right. They say, just do it. Mm-hmm. Nice. And it applies to everything. It's not just getting a job. Instead of saying, oh, I can't because I'm not qualified, think about, okay, what are the steps that I can take to become qualified? Talk to somebody, cold email them, 
man, I was so terrible at cold calling or emailing or walking up to someone. Now this is something that I do every day that really helps a lot. Talk to somebody and say, hey, you're doing this thing that I'm really interested in. Would you maybe have five or 10 minutes to maybe tell me a little bit more about what that's like? I'm just really curious. Yeah. From your experience, when you do ask people this exact question, what is their responses like? These days? I mean, I do this. Or in, in general, like, because a lot of people, I think, have this misconception or this notion that they don't have a lot of value to offer. Ah. And most people are busy folks, so they're not going to respond. But from your experience, what kind of responses do you usually hear? Yeah, there are three kinds of responses. Yes, no, and no answer. And if you don't ask, you're never going to get a yes. Or a clear lesson. So like, yes, no, future appointment, clear lesson. Future appointment is yes, right? Sometimes, sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes, for the most part, future appointment is yes. Yeah. But these, like, I, I'm getting a lot of yeses. Like, uh, there was somebody else who was on this podcast, Kevin, mm -hmm. and he was very much into product management. I said, hey, can I hear a little bit more about that? And he said, sounds great. Let's do lunch. And I brought him into Square and we had a one-hour conversation about product management, which he then turned into a conversation about VC, which was also very interesting. <laughs> yeah, shout out to Kevin. Yeah. And that's kind of the advice we give to a lot of our listeners who reach out is to Find companies that you're interested in, find roles that intrigue you and just shoot them a cold email and or tweet at them and mm -hmm. ask for a five minute conversation and you'd be surprised like what that leads to. Yeah, here's a here's a tip actually. If you know who you should be talking to, well, first, if you don't know who you should be talking to, try to find out. So go on LinkedIn or Facebook or whatever page where you can find who you think the decision maker is and try to find their email address. There are actually lots of hacks to be able to do that. Sometimes it's first name, last name. Sometimes it's last Initial, name first. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There are only a few combinations and usually you can kind of get it right and then you can just put it into mail tester and see if that email bounces or not and then send them an email and say, hey, I'm really interested in this. Like, are you the best person to talk to? And if your email goes through, not a lot of people use this tactic. If your email goes through, then you might be one of... 100 people who used that method and they're much more likely to talk to you. Yeah, and nowadays there's even companies that make it even easier. I think hunter.io, they you just type in the name of the company mm -hmm. and it tells you all the email addresses of people who work at those companies. So it's even <laughs> it's streamlined. I think their free plan lets you get like 150 emails for free. Mm -hmm. So if you're someone who is trying to get those email addresses, just sign up and uh mm -hmm. we can include it in the show notes. Yeah, and customize. Customize. When I was one of the, I think one of the things that got me my job now is I had stalked my interviewer on LinkedIn and on his LinkedIn, he had his own quote, which he said, if you can sell billboards, you can sell anything. And I, at the end of my video interview, the YouTube clip that I, that I was uh, recording, I ended with, if you can sell billboards, you can sell anything. <laughs> so he dope. knew that I had done my research. Always, yep. always do your research. So don't just send the same email to everybody yep, in the company. Exactly. Yeah, customize it. Got awesome. it, got it. And so can you take us to building out that community? Yeah, so the community that I run is called One Salon. It's every Tuesday. I've been running it for over two years. I wasn't the person who started it, but I am, I've been doing it for probably the longest out of anyone so far. I would consider it either TED Talk with friends or a social, cultural, intellectual gathering of curious minds. And this is where most of my really deep friendships come from, including my two roommates that I just moved in with. It's a community that is not focused on networking at all. Remember when I, when I had lost my job, I didn't know what anyone did or what companies they worked at. 
I just knew them as humans. And that's probably the best way you can network at all. Yeah. And in our pre-chat, I asked you, I was kind of like figuring out what advice you would have for our listeners when it comes to networking. And I said, hey, what would you tell someone who is go- who goes to networking events? Mm-hmm. What hacks or tricks would you tell them? And what did you answer? Yeah, I, I said that I'm terrible at networking events. It's probably the one of the worst events <laughs> for me because people go in with motives and people don't respond well to people mm-hmm. with motives. People respond well to humans. Yeah. So if you approach them as a human, let's just say at a networking event and ask them something like, what is something that you enjoy or what is something that excites you rather than what do you do? No, what do you do? Oh, what do you do? Then you're probably much more likely to get a network that way. Yeah. No. So it's like, it's kind of like sales pitches versus like real conversations. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it also makes the point that it's a lot easier to build these relationships in places where it's not in a networking environment where you where people are just hanging out and like building relationships mm-hmm. versus places where people go to like a meetup hoping that they're going to meet like five people that night and get business cards. And those relationships tend to be more like superficial and transactional. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the times, uh, the best relationships that you could build is by doing hiking or getting with people yeah. outside of the work environment and just doing something that's very simple grabbing coffee, like going to events like you just discussed. Part of the reason why that's super important is people aren't just trying to find people that can do the job. They want to be able to hang out with you too. Yeah, it's very important. It's it's so interesting because after having been a salon organizer, I had some people come up to me and say, hey, I hired two people from salon and I've heard of at least a dozen projects and work projects that came out of salon. And really, it's just because they got to know another human as a human. And there's a cool uh, improv component as well. Can you talk a little bit about that too? The improv component. I have to make a disclaimer. I don't have an improv background, but I do lead a lot of improv games for icebreakers. The reason why we do this is so that people will let loose and be a little bit more vulnerable and laugh and, and move their bodies. I would say that it does work. It is a little bit uncomfortable at first if you've never done anything like that and been silly. But after a while, it's a lot of fun. And when everybody's into it, then... Like the, it actually does make the conversations at the end of the night a little bit better when everyone's seen everyone else do something a little bit silly. Can you give us a little taste of what that improv uh, like task would be? Oh, there are so many different games. One that I really like is having, it's called Car and Driver, which I learned from Jenny Sawyer Klein. One person closes their eyes the other, and they're the uh, car. And then the other person will drive the car around. They're the driver. This is a really fun one. Especially when you have 50 people in a small room. <laughs> Especially when you have 50 people. The room is not small. It's a pretty big room. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then they have all of these feelings and then they want to talk about them. And suddenly when it was just an awkward, hi, what are you, uh, how are you, you know, it becomes like, wow, that experience, like, what did you, you know, it, it really does spark some conversations. Yeah. So it sounds like that psychology major is working out for you very well. <laughs> I don't know how much the psychology major helped with that. I think it's my interest in how humans interact. Yeah. And my social experimentation at my event. I, don't, yeah. I haven't really talked about this publicly yeah. before. Cool. So with that said, we're going to move on to the next part of our podcast, sure. which is the lightning round. And this is where the three of us will ask you several questions, but try to provide brief answers filled with strategies, resources, anything that you found useful to help you get to where you are today. Arthur, take it away. Yeah. So this question takes it back to the basics. And a lot of our listeners are currently considering moving to a new city or kind of going after their goals. And a lot of the time it involves 
getting your stuff and moving. And let's say like if you were moving to a new city and you only had $100, what would you do and how would you get back on your feet with that having limited resources really and if you only had 100 bucks? Hmm. I have to think about this. Would you do this hash rabbit thing again? Well, it depends on which city you're in, right? Can you tell me which city I'm going to be in? So let's say you're in uh, SF, New York, LA, like one of the top, Chicago. Okay. Is this assuming that I don't know anyone or do I know a lot of people? So let's say you don't know anyone. I don't know anyone. you're in a brand new city Mm -hmm. and you're trying to kind of build yourself back up and get that job. Got it. I would probably go for a community of people who would accept me. So let's just say that I didn't know anyone in tech then I would probably buy a ticket, which would be about $10, to a tango place. So if you really like rock climbing, then maybe you'd go to a rock climbing place and strike up as many conversations with as many people as a human as possible and, and ask them for suggestions. Not necessarily ask them for a, job. for a job. I actually would strongly suggest against that. It has too much of a motive, but ask them for suggestions. Hey, like, I'm very new to San Francisco. I'm like, where is a good place for me to learn more about X and ask them for other events. From there, I guess you would be able to meet a lot of different people. Got it. Got it. And it sounds, that's good advice. It sounds like music is and art and dance is is very important to you. Can you take us to the time when you uh, got rejected for the fourth time from singing and for Opus, right? Mm -hmm. Did you listen to something or did you like was there something that you did that helped you get over that emotional hump outside of crying, like from an artistic perspective? Ooh, I don't have a good answer for that because I don't remember. I think probably time and dance. Dance made me forget everything. I would just be dancing and there was every, the world would just melt. So when you're, when you're sad, so outside of that point, is there a song that you recommend people to listen to? Like what's your favorite vocal piece to listen to when you're sad? Or if you want to sing. You do that as well. Yeah, that, yeah, that's actually not a bad idea. Do that. I'm still a little bit shy about singing. I just recently started singing again about a year ago, so maybe next time. There is not a specific song that I I would recommend. Spotify does a good job of curating things that fit your mood, so I just usually go on that. Yeah, that's awesome. And you've traveled the world. You've broken two industries. If you had to give one piece of advice to your younger self, maybe take us back one. You were um, graduating from college. Mm-hmm. Um, what would be that piece of advice that you would want yourself to know? Oh, that's easy. Just do it, Kim. Like, if you wanted to go to Argentina, which I did for five years, I should have just done it. It took me five years before mm-hmm. I finally did. It was and great. How did that feel once you did it? Oh, that was kind of a breakthrough. After that, I was like, oh, I could just do it. Because every year I would ask my parents, can I go to Argentina? Even when I had made enough money from teaching dance, I always asked for permission. And then one day I changed my wording. I said, when I go to Argentina, would you like to know about it? Yeah. And then my mom said, yes, you can go. So don't ask for permission. Yes. (laughs) Well, tell them about what you are about to do. I wouldn't say go behind their back to do something. But in my case, I said, hey, I'm going to be doing this thing. There you go. Nice. Do you have any specific books that you would recommend to people? or online resources that want to, for people that want to learn more about sales or business development. I know you mentioned predictable revenue. Are there Mm -hmm. any other books that Square recommends or that you would recommend to people? I wouldn't recommend any books, but there is one website that I recommend a lot that you should definitely go on and use all the time. And that is google.com, which anything that you want to learn is probably on there. And before I went into my interviews, 
prepare. What is a sales development rep? What are some things to prepare for? Like Google is the thing that's going to prepare you the best and it's going to teach you how to learn. That's good. That's good. Yeah. And through this process, is there anything you changed your mind on having kind of gone through working in the creative space, like as a voice actress, tango instructor, breaking into tech? Is there anything that you changed your mind on now having been on the other side? Change my mind on what? Or anything that surprised you? Let's or say like any- you, you came into this space with a certain mindset. Or preconceived after, notions. So. Yeah, and then oh. after going through the process, did something change now that I you've see. gone through everything? Oh my gosh, so many different things. One of the first things that I realized was that there are so many successful dropouts here. In fact, the dropouts are more successful than the non- non-dropouts. Mm-hmm. And when I was growing up, my mom told me, go to college, finish your degree, don't drop out. And I thought that that was the right way to go. Now I'm like, dropping out is totally fine. Like, I, I truly believe this. And in fact, I would have been okay if I had dropped out when I was in school. That's one thing that I changed my mind on. Another thing is that I had met a lot of people who had tried drugs before. And I was like, oh my God, that is so bad. Growing up, that is the worst thing ever. You must be a loser. And they talked about it in a way that were like, hey, this was very scientific. I tried it in this way. And these are the benefits that it gave me. And these are the potential consequences. And so that I changed my mind on as, as well, that like some people who do drugs may not be bad people. No, no. I know you have a, a bag of intense questions that we want to like throw that out. Oh, there. yeah. And maybe you can also share uh, what made you start kind of because you, you carry this bag of intense questions around with you. Yeah. How did it even come about? Yeah, I am. Um, I've, I've been carrying this bag of intense questions with me for a long time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Like this bag, and it's you, not a metaphor, guys uh, and it's, girls. It's like a um, literal bag. It's of, an envelope filled yeah. with uh, how many? Like thousands. a, a hundred? I, I don't know, maybe a few hundred. You know, this bag is already my second bag. My first bag fell apart when I was using it one time. I was having dinner with my friend at Stripe, and we took out the bag of intense questions. And she looked at the envelope, and she's like, "I'll give you a new one." <laughs> Got it. So can can we dump them out here, and then maybe, yeah. or maybe we could reach? Well, yeah, we could pick one, and then you can yeah. ask us that question. You could ask Arthur the question. I think, I think what we can do is you can just pick one and then the four of us will yeah. uh, go, take turns answering it. Yeah, that would be good. And uh, if you don't like the question, you can always... Oh, man. <laughs> I wish I had the Jeopardy music. <laughs> There's a lot of questions There's out so here. Many. All right. I guess the first one that I've picked out, I just... It's so private. Okay. Someone got a text message from you and for whatever reason, they're not sure... It's actually you. They're worried someone stole your phone. What could they ask to make sure it's actually you? Hmm. I'm going to let you guys go first while I think. Go, Arthur. So just to repeat the question, um, basically, is it like you lost your phone and someone uh, found it? or You you got a text message. Okay. They're not sure that it's you. They're trying to identify whose phone it is. They think that it's you. And so they're asking you a question Hmm. to figure out if it's actually you. And so what questions can they ask to determine that it's actually Timor? Mm. So it has to be something that's unique, right? Something that's yeah. unique. I guess they could say, are you Timor or Arthur? Because <laughs> we're twins and people always get us confused or something. I don't know. Well, then it could be you, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think a question. A question. <laughs> I've never asked this question to a pair of twins before, but yeah. this would be a great question for yeah. identical twins. I guess uh, they could say who is stronger, and so it would be me. 
<laughs> I'm is just kidding. Arthur, I thought we weren't going to lie on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> These are real conversations. <laughs> okay, that, that's for you. I mean, for me, it's, it'll probably be something like arts related or something related to like music because I'm always talking about music or cello because there's not a lot of black cellists out here or it could be something related towards like did you leave this at the ballet? I mean, we were just at the ballet for the sensorium thing, so it could be something like that. Yeah. Or like fearless, anything about fearless and like hmm. Tahoe and outdoor activities related to hikes. Yeah. If I got Ruben's phone, I'd probably just ask him about um, meal prep. Yeah. What goes like, into the meal prep. Yeah, exactly. So like, did you did you make the chicken last night or something like that? <laughs> or like what, uh, what protein type? <laughs> Are we preparing this week? <laughs> exactly. That's probably a good one. Is there another question? Let's ask there are many, question. many other let's, questions. Ask like, let's ask like two more questions. Let's do one more. How do you spend your days? That's a great question. Two more. I think I'll take this. Um, <laughs> me, personally, I just spend a lot of time uh, just like thinking and just taking a step back from uh, everything. I, like I'm always questioning myself in a way where like questioning myself about how I spend my time. So... I don't know if it's exciting to you guys or not, but if I'm waking up in the morning, I'm always like reaching for my phone and then I stop myself and I say, hey, <laughs> should you be checking your phone the first thing when you wake up? And then I stop doing that. So throughout the day, I'm always trying to think about what to do next that's going to be a better use of my time. Hmm. I like that. Maybe let's pull another one. And then that one goes, that could go to like. Yeah, do you want to pull? It's like you got this it. is a fun exercise, by the way. So if you had to teach someone one thing, what would it be? Mm. Oh, that's a good one. How it, ta- it can't be tango. <laughs> it can't be tango. <laughs> how to organize events. That's yeah. a good one. That's awesome. I like that one. I would say how to tell your story. I think that combination would be pretty strong. I would say how to write a cold email because I've written a lot of them in my life. Dang, that's, and uh, That's three solid things. Yeah. Arthur, what would you say? How to play the accordion. Okay. <laughs> That's what will set you apart from everybody. Solid. The cold email thing, it applies not just Ooh. to work, but also online dating. It's the same. I have the last question, okay? If you could send a message to the entire world, what would you say in 30 seconds? Now, that's an intense question. And I repeat, if you could send a message to the entire world, what would you say in 30 seconds? It's a hard one. I guess if this is the world outside of tech, I would just tell people that, hey, give tech a shot. No matter what your background is, no matter what your education is, uh, there's a place for you. And like Kim said, there's a lot of dropouts out here who are more successful than people with college degrees. So you're welcome and you should totally give this a serious shot. And that's a great answer. I think in my case, I really like Steve Jobs' graduation speech at Stanford where he just said, once you realize that we're going to die at some point and you just look at yourself in the mirror, then everything else, all the fears that you have, all the hesitations, they kind of go away, realizing that our time here is limited. So I would say if you have that passion that you always wanted to pursue, if you wanted to go to Argentina or if you wanted to try a new skill, just go and do it. Yeah, for me, take some time and tell somebody that you appreciate that you appreciate them. Yeah. And then I think I will say there was something that they said inside of San Quentin this morning. They said they brought up the Bob Marley quote about like emancipate yourself from mental slavery. None but ourselves can ever free our mind. They talked about songs of freedom and how, you know, we can sing songs of freedom, but it's it's very important for us to sing those things collectively. But I would say, you know, a lot of times we're working on things this that are the same things. Stop working in silos. Try to think about how we can work things 
on things collectively uh, or in pairs and trust your struggle. Awesome. Yes. Yeah. That's a great way to end. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So how can we get in touch with you? Or how could our listeners get in touch with you? Because <laughs> we already know how to get in touch with you. So if I give out my email right now, how many people will email me? It depends on how many people are taking the advice that you shared about those cold emails and things like that. Well, if you take my advice, then I know that you'll find me. Okay. Solid. I like yeah. that answer. Yeah. Good if answer. you if you if you listened to this podcast, you will know how to find me. Yeah. yeah. You'll find a way. Okay. And so what's the plan for where are we gonna see Kimberly Han in the next five, ten years? <laughs> <laughs> that's that's so interesting. I used to have very clear plans. And I'm going to take this from a quote from somebody that I knew that I met yesterday. And I don't even remember her name. But the older I get, the less I can predict my future. Wow. What I a like great that. way to end the podcast. I yeah, like that. That's deep. I have to think about that as we leave. <laughs> yeah. You guys think about it too. Have a good night, everybody. Yeah. Peace. And thanks a lot, Kim, for uh, <laughs> sharing your story with us. Thanks for having me here. Thanks for checking us out. We appreciate you for listening and always love your feedback on how we can do better. If you enjoyed this, let us know what you thought on the reviews by going to iTunes, searching for Breaking Into Startups, subscribing to our podcast, and leaving a review. Also, if you know someone who came from a non-traditional background and is looking to break into tech, encourage them to sign up to our newsletter or tell them to join the Breaking Into Startups community on Facebook. Remember, if they don't let you in through the front door, go through the back door, around it, under it, or through it. Let's break in.